0: This is mission.org.
1: I've stayed at this particular company because I genuinely love the people and I've been very grateful for the opportunities I've been able to take advantage of or I've been granted. That said, I think I've been successful in some of this because I started when the company was so small, I understood so much more to the left and right of me than I think a lot of CMOs necessarily have the opportunity or bandwidth to do or learn.
0: The tenure of a CMO at any one company can be short-lived. So what does it take to stay in the seat for over a decade? Today's guest tells us because she has that experience. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron. We're pleased to welcome to the show, Susan Vitale, the chief marketing officer for the cloud-based talent acquisition company, iSIMS. Susan joined the company as a marketing coordinator 17 years ago and climbed the ranks all the way to chief marketing officer where she now oversees global marketing efforts at scale. Tune in to hear all about Susan's unique marketing journey and even get some advice on how to overcome doubt when you're stepping into large roles. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot content management system made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a Bright Spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. I'm just stoked to have you, Susan. Let's start at the tippity top for our audience and just in terms of, you know, your kind of your, I know your start was marketing in school, right? That was the beginning for you, was marketing in college or what did it go back even earlier with with mom and sister?
1: Uh, I guess technically it went back earlier. Uh, My mom is an entrepreneur, as you you know. Um, And so early on and she started the business, you know, on her own, it was literally out of our dining room, uh, which worked well because she couldn't cook. And so we never sat at the dining room anyway. But she literally built this business out of our home. We had it was all females who worked there. They would literally all come in and and work. Um, And so some of that marketing career came early because we were in charge of the collateral, we worked her trade show booths and things like that. Um, we answered the phones. Uh, and my mom's background prior to that had been in graphic design. So I've always had some of this marketing surrounding my life. Um, but yeah, more formally, I'd say not in my home would be in college um, and then jumped right into marketing career uh, directly out of school.
0: Now, I heard, I heard on a previous interview, you talked about you having to really sell, was it the dean on marketing? Like you were kind of, they were kind of dissuading you from pursuing marketing as like a studying marketing and you were, you had to really kind of plant a stake in the ground there and really sell someone in, I think it was at the dean at the college you were at or something, what's the story there?
1: That's right, and I don't know of anyone who's ever had to do that before <laughs> or since. Um, it's so funny because when I was really young, I remember being asked, "What what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a CEO and an author. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what a, a CMO does. They help grow these businesses, they're chief storytellers, you know, and so it was this really interesting mix. When I started at college at Lehigh University in PA, I actually had started my major in business management. And about halfway through my tenure there, they decided essentially to do away with that major. And I essentially said, people aren't really hiring managers straight out of school. And so this is our reasoning. Fair enough. And so I had to pick something else. And I thought marketing made a lot of sense. And I think the dean felt that a lot of students wanted to pursue marketing because they thought it was easy or just prettying things up or something like that. And I never saw marketing as that. And so I kind of had to pitch and said, marketing is fundamental to growing a business. If you can't get that right, how does any business succeed? And kind of going back to wanting to be a CEO, that was fundamental to me of just the, the heart and spirit of how you grow a business. Um, and so I guess, uh, my, my persuasive skills worked, um, and, and I was able to major in marketing, uh, and I minored in PR and comms, which is very much what I do today.
0: Wow. Okay. So what was this opportunity at ISIMS in the early days? Like, was this just, you were scouring for opportunity? Like, let's, let's start at the beginning there because you've been there a minute and yeah. What was the beginning, early days of that?
1: Yeah. I've been here since 2005. I'm approaching my 17 year anniversary. Wow. Um, Wow. And at the time, I was actually approached by our then head of marketing and sales. He saw my resume on a college job board that doesn't even exist anymore, which makes me feel sad about myself. <laughs> um, but he found my resume. He, he called me. Um, and I really just took the interview as practice. I expected I would go into New York City. I would go into publishing or something. I didn't even know what HR technology was. Um, We were a really small company. We were a couple dozen employees, about one and a half in marketing. Um, And I was just so fortunate. I really clicked with my then boss, our CEO, who was also the founder of the company and others. And I was really blessed because I was able to gain a lot of trust early on. I was given a lot of autonomy, um, really for no reason. I mean, I had no real experience to draw upon. Um, but I, I felt true ownership in what I was doing. And that was super important to me. And I was clear about that in the interview, maybe more than your average college senior would be like, here's what I need. <laughs> um, so that's what brought me here. But I, I've been here now almost half my life, which is the longest yeah. relationship I've ever had. And um, and you know, I constantly say that the people and the opportunity have kept me here. I've just been really, really fortunate about the opportunities I've been given, or I've earned stepping into management, director role, CMO. Yeah, really lucky about that.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I want to spend a little time here, and I think thinking about, you know, how do we look at this, you know, this great career over, you know, you said almost 17 years, um, in kind of stages. You know, it's like okay, the first was the beginning where you came in as this kind of new marketing contributor. Um, What are some of the things that they threw on your plate? What are some of the things you got exposed to early on? And then did you also feel like marketing leadership was something you wanted quick or was that coming later on in the marketing journey?
1: It's funny you ask. So I, you know, especially in a small company, we were, again, just a couple dozen employees. Everybody's already doing everything. Um, And that was great for me. I was qualifying leads. I was writing case studies. I was writing press releases. I was responding to RFPs, which was probably the best learning experience I got um, because I would literally go into our software to figure out how it worked to respond to the RFP. I sat literally shared walls with um, our sales team. And so I got to eavesdrop on all of these conversations, listen to them doing demos. And it made such a massive difference for me. Um, And in fact, some of those early things were hard for me to let go of as we got bigger and as we hired other people to do it. Like I loved doing the case studies. I loved talking to the customers. I didn't want to let that go. But at some point you tap out and you obviously need to let go in order to move up and and move on. Um, So I was exposed to a lot very early on that I felt really lucky about. Our then director of marketing and sales ultimately moved into just a sales leadership role. It was too much for him to take on both. And so I was able to move up within the organization. And I was terrified. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't want to break what he had built. We were seen as this really well-performing team, really strong machine. And frankly, I had no experience. Um, And at the time, it's not like we had these really strong training programs on how to be an incredible manager and all the things that we offer now at ISIMS, now that we're um, closer to 1,300 people, 1,400 people around the world. Uh, so it was a lot of blind faith, and I'm very appreciative for it. Um, and I've been surrounded by very, very, very good people who, um, frankly, just impress me every day, and I'm fortunate that I get to be their spokesperson.
0: Wow. You talk about imposter syndrome, too, and how important that is for for women in business and humans in business in general. It sounds like that might have been a moment where you you really stepped into something and and over overcame it. And I'm just curious about you know, kind of the, the story there for you in pursuing that. Stepping into something that had great responsibility um, and support, but also like new, a new world. You had to push through A lot of people wouldn't even go there or they might go there and then back back out. Why did you continue on?
1: Um, it's funny because we started this conversation talking about my mom, single mom of, of twin girls, uh, started this company that, that we referenced earlier with zero experience. Uh, And so I remember explicitly the conversation I had with her at dinner after I was told I was getting this promotion. And I said, like, oh, God, I don't want to break anything. I don't I don't I don't know about this. Um, And I really distinctly remember my mom saying it wouldn't the board, the executive team, et cetera, would not give you this opportunity. if They didn't think you can do it. A and B, the job is not for you to just continue what's been built. It's to create the next best journey for this whole group, for this team, for the business. It's not just keeping keeping the lights on. And so that really, really clearly resonated with me um, and has been really in the back of my head ever since. She and our founder have also had really similar words of wisdom in terms of hiring people that are better than you in their explicit disciplines to help you rise up, give you lift, et cetera. And that's been really important for me. I've just been really grateful that I've been able to Convince so many smart, talented people to come along and and um, hopefully have some fun along the way. They've made all the difference, uh, and I'm really grateful for that.
0: How has the company Isims evolved while you've been there, right? And then how have you changed as well along this journey?
1: Oh, in so many ways. Um, it's funny we we were talking a little while ago how you mentioned it's pretty unusual for CMOs, executives in particular, but CMOs certainly um, to have such long tenure at a company and in tech, for sure. Um, And I think that's definitely true in marketing. I tend to see a lot of CMOs come in, maybe they do a brand campaign, get the company from this stage to maybe this stage plus one. Um, And then they jump out and they don't necessarily roll around in it for too long or live in it. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a, a passing of judgment. It's just common. Um, I've had the ability and and the interest to really be with the company through all these different phases of growth when we were about a million in ARR to now approaching more like 350 million ARR. Um, And that's been, you know, obviously very different each stage. Um, Different degrees of challenge with each of those, different degrees of scrutiny, of spotlight going from founder-led to accepting growth equity with Susquehanna Growth uh, to Vista. Recently, we announced a new relationship with PA Associates. Each has been very, very different. And I think it's very common for executives to come in and say, I'm really good at the five to 15 million or the 25 to 50 million stage. Um, and you know maybe they hate the larger scale or vice versa. Um, the metrics we look at today, weren't even a figment of our imagination <laughs> 15 years, like we didn't know. Um, and so I've been really proud of myself for being able to step into those new challenges and expectations and, and degrees of scale and learn something new and and not just keep up but help lead us through those different phases of growth and challenge along the way. Certainly, a lot more disciplined, a lot um, a lot more analytical, and just thinking about things of how do we think bigger about this so that we don't get mm-hmm. too much into that thinking small mentality, but never losing that scrap that I think sometimes at bigger companies uh, you don't see enough of the roll up the sleeves. How do we just get it done and and embrace the grit? Mm.
0: What would you say you've really if you could whittle it down to one or two, you know, skills you've cultivated over the, you know, decade plus that you've been in marketing and marketing leadership there? Like what are what are these things that you what are these kind of what's table stakes for you to as a CMO, you know, entrench yourself in an organization where you're not you're clearly not going anywhere? You've already passed, you know, the vast majority of CMOs that just don't last anywhere near that. What are some of the things you think you've been able to do to go from this founder-led company, like you said, taking outside capital, having some new leadership in another new CEO in Steve, you know, what would you say if you could whittle it down to one or two things of like, these, these two things have kept me in the game and will keep me in the game as a, as a CMO for as long as I choose?
1: Well, I've stayed at this particular company because I genuinely love the people and I've been very grateful for the opportunities I've been able to take advantage of where I've been granted. Um, that said, I think I've been successful in some of this because I started when the company was so small, I understood so much more to the left and right of me than I think a lot of CMOs necessarily have the opportunity or bandwidth to do or learn. Like, I love our product. I got really deep in the product really early on where I was doing demos. I was very involved in our partner ecosystem and our product strategy, et cetera, um, and that was important. I got a lot of time with our customers to really hear from them what's going on. A lot of time with industry analysts to really see what was happening in the industry and not get too myopic or or inward focused about that. The other piece is because I understood the left and right of you know anything from the customer experience uh, to the product is that I really understand our waterfall. Um, and I think a lot of times we see marketers who tend to over index in one area or the other, again, Not a judgment, it's what they're passionate about and what the business might need at any given time. But unfortunately, I think a lot are not as interested in or jump into the tie to revenue. Just like, how do you understand the bottoms up and what role marketing plays in that? Uh, That's been very important for me.
0: Wow. You know, it's, I think about just strategic planning and how you have to align with a new leader or, or new stakeholders that come in. And again, it's like you have to fit in. You said waterfall. It's like you have to be able to, you know, reach across the aisle and start to align your goals with other stakeholders in the business and continue moving forward. What's that like kind of, again, not working with the same people over and over again, but having to kind of fit into new perspectives. I mean, you've got, you know, Steve Lucas, current CEO there who Adobe acquired Marketo. He was the CEO there yeah. on the board of Drift. A marketing kind of leader in of himself, and then you now, of course, supporting and and protecting him, and vice versa. Again, how do you how do you align with 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 folks of this caliber at, at different phases?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I've been very fortunate in that all of these different leaders I've worked alongside or worked for have taught me something about myself or that will help my career in some way, shape, or form. At probably at the stage I needed it in life, um, Steve, as you mentioned he's a marketer. I mean, he comes from Marketo, he did marketing at Microsoft and, you know, has led a lot of go-to-market related um, and and product related functions and and departments, et cetera, Salesforce and SAP. So he, and and he loves technology, but he loves marketing. Um, And so 99% of the time you're like, thank goodness he gets it. He wants to invest in this. He believes in it. 1% of the time you're like, Steve, (laughs) This can't just be about marketing. Like we got to, you know, we got to make good on this and blah, blah, blah. And all of that is in jest and it's, um, it's a really good dynamic. Steve has absolutely enabled me to think bigger about marketing, what we do, you know, massive scale in terms of making bold, bold statements, um, pulling off these really big events that are really important for our brand. Um, soon after he joined, which was March of 2020. So wild time to join any company.
0: Yeah. Perfect time. Perfect time to join. <laughs> Uh,
1: especially a company that's that's all about hiring.
0: Yeah, you're right. It
1: took us off like a year to to hang out in person, so it was just an incredible wow. time. Um, but in going through that, it really Steve is really good about just being having the finger on the pulse of what's happening around us and how do we connect what we do to what's happening today versus tomorrow versus a week from now. Hmm. Uh, that was incredible. We also went through a rebrand just a few weeks after Steve joined. We kicked off that process. And we decided to launch our first ever global user conference um, a few months out, about six months after he joined, uh, we pulled that off. So a couple of massive marketing moves within six months or so, um, nine months or so after Steve joined, and he helped us see that we could do a lot more than we thought we could in a fraction of the time. Uh, And he's really proud of what we were able to pull off.
0: Was that your first rebrand at iSIMS in the time you'd been there or are there others?
1: We had gone through um, some reskins and things like that before, um, but this was, okay. this was a bit different. And I think what we often see in rebrands is um, maybe more of just the look and feel, but and you know obviously web properties and things like that. But we also really re-architected um, how we were positioning our product set through a number of acquisitions as well as organic development of the product. We wanted to really reconcile that and make it easier to understand. And so obviously there's quite a lot that goes in to that, that winds up manifesting on a website or a market texture, but there's 9,000 hours of work, um, and debate and, um, uh, and fun conversations (laughs) that go along with that too. Uh, and so that was a very important element to what we were doing.
0: When did international marketing become a thing at your time there? Was it, was it, was the early days already going global or talk about the international marketing efforts there?
1: had some starts and stops. Um, early on, in a couple of years into my tenure there, we went much bigger the last couple of years and then doubled down in just the last couple of years in particular through some acquisitions. Um, so during the pandemic, we uh, acquired uh, this incredible uh, Dublin-based company that has built this awesome AI engine. Um, then not too long after that, acquired uh, a company called Easy Recruit based in France, but with a pretty broad footprint, particularly in Southern um, Europe. And then just about two months ago, we acquired a company in Scotland called Candidate ID, which is so cool because it's literally a marketing automation platform built for recruiting. Mm. So a lot of what we do at ISIMS, and I I should have been more clear, we're the talent cloud company. So we have this HR technology platform that enables companies all over the world to attract, engage, hire, and advance amazing talent that builds their, their diverse winning workforces. And we support about 40% of the Fortune 100, 4,000 customers around the world. And collectively, those employers employ about 34 million people, world's leading brands. Um, and so, the really interesting thing that we've seen is that what organizations do in B2B or B2C marketing is super applicable to what we do in recruiting and, and retaining talent. So uh, in particular, it's marketing automation acquisition was so cool um, because we live it, right? So like the marketing department was super pumped. Um, and a lot of the things that we've been doing, uh, CRM, et cetera, is just for talent acquisition and talent management. But um, obviously, we really understand how it works in the world of B2B. Hmm.
0: For some of these acquisitions, are you getting pulled into these to evaluate them kind of prior to acquisition? And what are some of the things that you're looking for? If so, kind of making this, Hey, this is a good bet for us versus maybe it's not as a marketing leader.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a really good part of the job. you learn a lot and get to see a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, obviously the product market fit is really important. Understanding how the product could apply to our existing customer base is important. So we tend to see a lot of success with cross-selling those those tuck-ins to our existing base. So we essentially overlay it on the base to say, what do we think we can can do here? Obviously, it's important for us to understand what it does from a brand perspective. Does it pull us forward or pull us back? Um, And what's the overall sentiment out there on the brand? Um, And probably most importantly, beyond obviously, the financials, et cetera, making sure these are healthy businesses. Uh, we take a look at, at the people and just say, are these going to be cultural ads for us? Um, do we feel like we're all going to like working with each other and um, learn from each other, et cetera? That is super important.
0: Hmm. So the buyer is kind of like chief people officer in the Fortune 100. Is that kind of, or is it, is it a, a level lower than them? Like, who are the buyers of iSIMS or the customers of iSIMS, I guess is the better question.
1: Yeah, as with almost all enterprise technology, there's often a committee, but the CHRO is certainly um, super important for us and is typically highly involved here. Um, depending on the individual products within the talent cloud, we might see the VP of talent acquisition obviously is, um, is highly interested and really important for us. Um, and then as we've expanded into this area of internal mobility, saying it's not just about hiring people, it's what happens after. How do you get them from marketing coordinator to CMO? We built out this really interesting set of capabilities that we call the Opportunity Marketplace to help companies um, tap into their existing employees and advance their careers. And so sometimes now we're seeing more on the talent management side, HR, BPs. uh, And then interestingly enough, we spend a lot of time talking with recruitment marketing and employment branding uh, leaders and departments. That's an evolving space. It's a super interesting and fun one for me to, for me to look at, because there are people out there, departments out there that are responsible for marketing a company and building a brand for the company. And that doesn't always live within the marketing department. It's now more than ever in talent.
0: Mm, I like that. That's really cool. You said recruitment marketing and brand. What was the second one? Employment brand or employer brand. Employment brand. Very cool. Okay. That's awesome. Um, in terms of just kind of experimenting with anything, I mean, are there any things that you're yeah, experimenting with in terms of marketing? Do you have budget set aside for things, you know, AI and, and other kind of things that are more, yeah, more trendy, or do you kind of stick to what you're knowing and, and your growth plan?
1: Yeah, I think um, we always have to remind people that it's important for marketing to test more than almost any other group out there. And that if we don't see the returns, that's still a successful test. That means we learn something and we won't keep Keep putting money there. Mm. Um, I always laugh because I've had so many conversations with people when they say, "What do you do with a channel that isn't performing?" I'm like, what do you think? Like, we stop putting money. <laughs> we double down. Uh, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's super important to test. And I think for us to to try new things, and it could be within a channel we already know, right? Or it could be a new virtual event, or it could be new things with ABM or new technologies. But even beyond just the results of them, I think it's really empowering for our team members to lead those tests. They have that sense of ownership that was super important for me, even at 22 when I joined the company. Um, It's just as important to to our team members now, whether they're, you know, 22 or 102, that they feel like they got to come up with some cool idea, run it and learn something from it. So that's super important for us.
0: Mm. So. Just in terms of ABM approach there, I mean, what's your, yeah, what's your perspective on ABM? What are you seeing work really well uh, for ABM for you? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: We've had a long journey with ABM. I feel like we actually started very early and my hat is off to our our VP of marketing operations uh, who led Demand Gen for us prior to stepping into that role because she was really bleeding edge with a lot of what we wanted to do with ABM uh, and had to sell some of us internally on it. Um, because it's a big investment, as you know. It's in some respects, I think it gets overhyped um, because of some of the labeling for it, et cetera. But at its heart, yeah, absolutely, companies should be doing this as long as they know who they should be going after. Um, I don't think there's enough attention spent on really ensuring you're going after the right target accounts before you run into execution mode. And I don't think there's enough attention spent across the business that. Um, For why we were calling this account-based revenue, because otherwise, people just see it as some marketing thing. Um, But that tight alignment, not even just with sales, but the executive teams, et cetera, is really important. But we've had a lot of success here. I think an important thing for us was to ensure that this wasn't just seen as a demand gen program, but it extends Hmm. to bespoke digital experiences, content that speaks to these folks, how our SDRs are aligned what our events team is doing to ensure that um, we're really looking after these accounts in a different way. Um, And then obviously on the customer side, that there are ABM approaches we should be taking to existing customers. And it's not just about net new logos. So it's been fun. I think we've actually started getting into a really good rhythm, uh, particularly this year, we have some amazing team members leading the charge and that makes all the difference. Hmm. Um, And I think it needs time and consistency. Um, there's a lot people throw at ABM, and if they don't see it work within a month, we're like, all right, never mind. Mm. Um, and I've certainly had to be talked off of ledges for some of this, saying like we're spending an awful lot on this. Show me some of the early results. It doesn't have to be close one revenue just yet, but I need to feel good about these leading indicators mm. and it does take patience
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's you know there's something that we talk about a lot internally and then sometimes it'll come up on the show, and you know you know this better than me. And just in terms of this, you know, these B2B buyers are fragmented. And like you said, they often make decisions in like groups of people, and they're often doing a ton of research before they ever even talk to you and getting to them at the right time with the right message. And it's such an interesting, interesting world to be in. And I'm always curious about folks approaches there. Um, In terms of just your what you're excited about moving forward on, I mean, again, you've seen a lot done a lot of things like what are you most pumped about at iSIMS, looking into the next three to five years and a really interesting industry that seems to be moving and evolving in really interesting ways with new segments popping up and things like that. But what are you just stoked on?
1: I'm genuinely excited about, I'm in this unique seat, right? Because I get to see what B2B marketing and just marketing in general, what's happening there. And because so much of it ties to what we do in, in the industry of HR tech and talent acquisition in particular, I feel like I can see around the curve for some of this and and start bringing it to reality um, with some lessons learned because we've we've been burned in some cases. We've seen wild success in others. So that's really cool for me. And it's cool to lead this department for them to get excited about that, too. They can speak more passionately about these products that we offer, et cetera, because they really understand them and they understand the benefit. But overall, I mean, you know, Our team, it's it's about how are we driving revenue more effectively and more efficiently every day, how we're differentiating our message in a really crowded space, how we're building this community of evangelists and supporters, uh, customers, analysts, media, and so on, and then probably most importantly, how we continue to develop and build this world-class team that feels valued, that feels challenged, they feel fulfilled, and they feel supported uh, in what they do here. That's really important for me, obviously, having been here a long time. Um that really, really matters
0: to me. Mm, I love it, Susan. Thank you. This has been an exceptional conversation. Um, let's get into the lightning round. Are you ready for some fun questions?
1: Oh, I sure hope so. i hope i I hope I do okay here.
0: You will do just fine. Um, <laughs> this is I will say this is lightning round, so try to answer like from the heart quick. um, and before we get into it, I have to give a special nod to our sponsor, Salesforce. Uh, marketing Trends Podcast is brought to the world by Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We have Susan Vitale, CMO at iSIMS in the virtual house. First question, Susan, outside of work topics, what is a topic that you really care about and want to share with other people?
1: Uh, women in the workforce and women in leadership.
0: Love it. Great. What's the last time you tried something new?
1: I have a three and a half year old, so I feel like every day I am trying something new.
0: (laughs) I hear you and that is the best answer ever. Um, What's a life lesson you learned the hard way?
1: It's not about being right, it's about getting it right.
0: Love that one. Um, What's an activity that makes you lose track of time? Reading. Mm. Follow up to that, if you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students, which book would you choose?
1: It should probably be like Anne Frank, right? Um, and if we think, if we think uh, maybe less seriously, Freakonomics was an incredible book and I think would be awesome for high schoolers to learn because they start seeing boring topics in a cool way and it would force them to just think about things differently um, in life.
0: Mm. Okay, would you rather lose all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones?
1: I guess never be able to make new ones. I have too many precious ones with a, again, with a three and a half year old daughter, the light of my life. If I lost those, I would be forever, forever heartbroken.
0: Mm. What are you betting on for the future? It could be personal or professional. Like what are you betting on for the future?
1: More balance. A company's balance of growth and profitability and less grow at all costs looking at employees in a more balanced way as full human beings, uh, prioritizing, you know, flexibility and mental health, more purpose. And and gosh, I hope it also means more of everyone doing the right thing.
0: Hmm. Okay. Let's say you get a phone call from Steve tomorrow and he says, Susan, do you want the good news or the bad news? You say bad news. He says the whole marketing team's gone. It's just you and me. I need your help. You got to hire the first marketing person tomorrow. That's the good news. Who's the first role you hire and why?
1: It depends on the goals of the business, but probably the smartest hire would be a utility player or generalist who's just really hungry, really wants to learn.
0: Okay, I love that. Um, what do you make of kind of these growing brands like Wendy's and Chipotle and others that are kind of exploring the potential of virtual worlds? What do you make of this?
1: Fun to watch. I'm I'm happy to let others be the guinea pigs and, um, and um. Be interested to see what happens.
0: Okay, what is something that impresses you? Uh,
1: those in customer service—they are so incredibly patient. I would—I'd love to have a dose of that. That's
0: great. <laughs> What's your favorite app on your phone?
1: Probably my photos or Slate. Uh, I'm on Slate every day.
0: Slate. Okay. Okay. What is a skill that you believe everyone should have? Listening. That is my all-time favorite answer. For the record, Susan. <laughs> um, If you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, what would it be?
1: Anything sporty. I'm like the least athletic person in the world. Or maybe like speaking other languages. That's probably, that would probably get me farther in life.
0: Okay. And then what is one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before?
1: Meet some of my global colleagues in real life. We have these incredible people in Italy and Spain and France and Ireland and Scotland, um, that I haven't met and seen how tall they are. And I'd like to do that.
0: <laughs> Sounds like some international travel is in your cards for the future, Susan. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was an incredible conversation. Um, best of luck to you, the iSIM squad. Um, congrats on your career. I know this is definitely nowhere near the end. Um, and congrats on the new, the new young one at home and a well, new wish three, three still in the new range. So Um, Lots of love and thanks for being here, Susan.
1: Thank you so much.
0: You have eight seconds to capture the attention of your audience. Eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away, a swipe, or a scroll to the next topic. This difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experience to your audience, across devices, and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices make or break someone's experience with your brand. I talk to CMOs all the time within the Fortune 1000, and I know how important this is. At the center of gravity for your entire digital experience, Brightspot content management system can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences so you can be a bright spot in someone's day. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts to natural disaster preparation, the messages you deliver save lives. They also inform important decision-making and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and more precise and on a much larger scale than ever before. Brightspot content management system is already supporting some of the world's largest organizations to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing breaking news stories about its COVID-19 vaccine to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to audiences around the world.